Well, good morning, folks. And uh, we've made it to just about the halfway mark of summer. And uh, man, time is going. And uh, I trust that you're having a wonderful time uh, this summer and enjoying some of what we have in this different kind of summer. Um, I'm thinking about God's people and his plan for them. His plan for Israel was that he would showcase them before the world and that they would see God uh, directing that nation and they would come and want the blessings that, that uh, Israel had. When we came now into the age of the church, uh, in a similar way, God has a plan for his children and that is that he would put Jesus on display and our faith on display by how we live our lives in front of others. And uh, that we would share with others the incredible message of God's forgiveness, how our lives can be changed, that we can have eternal life. And uh, we're called to share that good news, that good message. That's called evangelism. And uh, what that means is basically just sharing or proclaiming the good news about Jesus and what he has for us. Well, here's an interesting thing. In 2 Corinthians 5, 19, here's what the Apostle Paul says, that, that Jesus has committed to us a message of reconciliation, how he puts the, the relationship between us and God in a right way. He says this, he, he's committed the message of reconciliation to us, and he says, we are therefore uh, Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us, be reconciled to God. Uh, God's plan for us is to share the good news about Jesus with others so that they can experience what we experience, that they can have a relationship with him even as we do. And, and I'm just thinking that probably just about every one of us that is listening to this and is a believer in Jesus is, um, it has been impacted by somebody that God brought into their life that helped them to understand what Jesus has done for us and helped them uh, follow, follow him. What an incredible privilege we have and, and so important. Well, in the, probably in the 1980s, there was a, a critical concern book that came out by the name of Lifestyle Evangelism, which really picks up on this. And while the message of the gospel is absolutely indispensable, a person can't become a, a follower of Jesus uh, unless they hear the message of the gospel. His point was that the message of the gospel uh, can be helped or hindered by virtue of the life that a, a person who claims to be a Christian is living. If that person is unkind, mean-spirited, immoral, unethical, unethical, uh, it can reflect poorly on Jesus and the church and uh, give people a, a bad opinion of them. Um, I know of an experience where a, a man who was doing ministry in a church as a layperson uh, would go out and purchase things from different vendors that he was using in the church. Uh, he would do this on his own, and then he was not paying for those things or claiming that he didn't take certain things. And uh, that, that church had vendors calling it about um, one of their members who's buying things for the church and not paying for it. It really sullied the reputation of the church. And uh, it was a pathetic testimony that was a real turnoff for people in that community. Uh, in West Bengal, India, 
uh, where I've had the privilege of ministering so many times, uh, I heard about one of the, one of the guys that uh, I've had the privilege of uh, helping in some of his training. And uh, his name is Satyan. And uh, there was in, uh, an, uh, a huge cyclone in uh, West Bengal, and it just de destroyed so much of the property there. And Setien was a pastor and uh, a younger man, and, and he really wanted to be faithful to God, but found the ministry uh, among the people there was very difficult. Uh, and as this uh, tragedy came, he began to help his neighbors. He, gave, he provided food for them. He helped them in rebuilding their homes. And uh, he, he made a huge impact. Previously, they had looked at him with some measure of suspicion. But now, living out Christ in his community, uh, people were asking questions. He, be, he became a, a, a person that people wanted to be with and wanted to be around. Uh, even uh, an older couple whose, uh, whose uh, son was a doctor and lived far away, he became the replacement son for them uh, that couldn't be there. And it was incredible to see how uh, God was working through his life, just as he let the light of Christ shine in that. You know, we've said before that the best advertisement for Christianity is Christians. And the worst advertisement for Christianity, yeah, you guessed it, is Christians. So when Peter is writing his letter, he knows that uh, living in Asia, as the Christians were, they had some strikes against them. Uh, they weren't like the people around there. They, they didn't have the same values. They were different in their beliefs and how they lived. And we know that oftentimes people who are different are called out for that. And uh, they would refuse to partake in the idolatrous worship and worshiping Caesar and that kind of thing. They had weird and different customs and different standards of morality. And so it was uh, not easy for them to be accepted. They didn't belong there and they felt that disconnect as well. And Peter said they were like foreigners or exiles. They were like people who were in a country that wasn't their own. They were, had experienced the, a kind of racism, if you will, in that. They experienced the heat and the rejection and persecution of those people. And, and so the question is, how are they supposed to live their life in a very non-Christian world? How are they supposed to live their life when uh, some of what the, comes against them comes against them because of their faith? Well, Peter is going to help us walk through some of this and understand and guide us in regard to how we do this. He's interested that we present Christ well as foreigners. He realizes that we need to show the love of Christ and the person of Christ in a very beautiful and wonderful way. And so in, in 1 Peter uh, 2, 11 and 12, he's going to help us understand two broad concerns about what it would take for us to uh, do a good job in terms of representing Jesus Christ. Um, one is negative, the other is positive. So he says here, um, firstly, that if we're going to be that kind of people to have an impact, uh, we're going to need to abstain from sinful desires. That's what he says, abstain from sinful desires in chapter 2 and verse 11. 
He says this, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. He realized, as, as so many of us understand as Christians, that they, we have some stuff inside us that isn't always good. It isn't always helpful. It isn't, it isn't what God would want. And there's sometimes a war going on inside of us. Uh, there are sinful desires in us. And they're warring against us. And he says, now what we need to do is with this battle, we need to abstain from sinful desires. Doing those things that uh, those uh, carnal and fleshly and immoral things uh, that, by the way, they used to do in their past life before they came to faith in Christ. And if you want to have a winsome, beautiful testimony, Christ-exalting life, you're going to find that you need to, uh, you need to put those things behind. Uh, Paul would say, the Apostle Paul would say, our citizenship is in heaven. We're in a place that is, that is not comfortable with us particularly, and we're not comfortable with them. And so he, he says, dear friends, that word is really beloved. And, and here is Peter just pouring out his love and heart and concern for them. I urge you, uh, I encourage you, to live this life. You have a higher allegiance than to your fleshly desires. Those things, those sinful desires. You have an, an, an uh, identity as God's people, as we heard um, uh, last week. And so we need to put away that stuff that is not good, that sinful stuff. And secondly, there's a positive. We need to live a good life that glorifies God. Uh, look at verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. He said, I want you to put on display good living, healthy living, living that glorifies God so that even now if you are criticized, if you're maligned, if you're belittled, if you're slurred uh, because of your life, that they can't bring a legitimate charge against you. You want to be like a Teflon Christian that nothing will stick. No accusation against you has any legitimacy. Um, because, because that's what God wants. Is he wants to put us on display. He wants us, uh, and, and we know that sometimes just because we're different, unintentionally, people will feel bad about us being in our presence. Sometimes it's the holiness uh, and, and the good life that we live that people whose lives are not that way look at us and, and even being with them may make them feel guilty inadvertently. And they may accuse us of being holier than thou or thinking that we're better than they are. We're superior than, uh, to them. And we, don't, we need to remember that we're nothing but sinners that were saved by the grace of God that don't deserve it. Well, we need to let them see this beautiful picture of goodness in our lives as we live out Christ before us. And, and to that end, they would be glorifying God in the day he, Jesus, returns and visits us. And so here, here we're, we, we, I'm right away reminded of something that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in uh, Matthew 5 and verse 16. Let your life so shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And that's exactly what Peter is saying. He said, 
live that good life that puts on display the beauty of Christ, that it would bring glory to God the Father. Let me ask you a question. Is your life reflecting the beauty of Jesus to others? Do they see his goodness, his love, his warmth, his kindness? Well, for Peter, he was concerned that the lifestyle that the believers had could do one of two things. It could help people see how beautiful Christianity in Christ is, or it could turn them off. And he wants them to live in that way. That's lifestyle evangelism. Uh, as the author of that book says, it's like you have the lyrics and you have the music. And the lyrics are, are the, is the message of the gospel. And uh, the music is seeing the gospel in action in people's lives and the goodness and the love and the joy that they have. Well, Peter's going to go on now and he's going to address four areas in which we're called to live in a way that, is, that enhances our testimony of faith. Four responsibilities we have, four different relationships with different people or groups that uh, we need to remember that uh, we want to have a lifestyle evangelism as well as a, a verbal one. The first of these is the duty that we have to government. Now, uh, how, do we, how do we rate relate to a government when they are foreigners? They're, they're like foreigners in another land. How do they relate to that foreign government? Well, uh, the command comes to us in verse 13. This section in, is... Uh, 1 Peter 2, verses 13 to 17. And he says this, he has a command for us. And the command is this in verse 13. Submit yourselves to the Lord, uh, to, uh, for the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent to him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For, uh, and let me just stop there for a minute. What he's saying here is, I have a command for you. As you relate to, uh, to others, I want you to, with respect to the government, and at every le le lever, uh, le excuse me, level of government, uh, whether the emperor, the king, the supreme ruler, or right down to governors, and we would say in ours, down to uh, our civil uh, uh, levels of government as well. He says, it calls for submission to them. Now you say, well, well, wait a minute. It was it was a corrupt, uh, it was a corrupt government. It, it was it was an emperor who could be very wicked, and uh, yeah, yeah, Peter understands that. But he understands this: that government is instituted by God. Uh, he says he says in essence there that it's every authority that comes from from that which was created by God, that this is God's institute as well. Listen to what it says, what the Apostle Paul will say about this in Romans 13, 1 and 2, about the divinely appointed governance that we live under. He says this, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established the authorities that exist have been established by God. So if you rebel against the government, Peter says you're rebelling against God because that's what he has uh, authorized. He authorized government uh, to help us. And, and the motivation here he gives us, he says, it's for the Lord's sake. 
You're doing this because the Lord wants you to do it. You're doing this to submit to the Lord, uh, that you would uh, submit yourself, uh, subject yourself to the, uh, to the uh, uh, leaders over you. God commanded and expected obedience. And he tells us here that really the purpose of government is to really uh, pres preserve a, a civility. Uh, listen to what he says in verse 15. For it's God's will that by doing good you should silence, um, uh, silence those, excuse me, uh, the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Uh, live as God's slaves. So he's saying here, what we want to do, the, the purpose of government is to preserve uh, civility. Uh, the Apostle Paul would tell us in 1 Timothy 2 that we're called to pray for the government and that the government punishes wrongdoers and it commends those who do right. That's what he says here. Uh, the, the government is sent to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. And, and so we need to subject ourselves and submit ourselves to that, that we would, they would keep law and order. And uh, it's terrible what, some of what we've seen against law and order over the last month or two. Uh, we've seen uh, rioting. We've seen vandalism. We've seen anarchy. We've seen uh, people, rogues, taking over uh, police stations and things like that. And, and God says through Peter. That's not right. As Christians, you shouldn't do that. That how we respond to the government has some apologetic value. And, and that God did not bring this, uh, he did not want to bring disrepute on the gospel. And, and God's will is to do good and to silence people who would criticize you as Christians. Uh, no, bring yourself under the authority of the government. That doesn't mean, uh, that doesn't give non-Christians uh, a legitimate means of discrediting faith. Do live in such a way that they can't call you out for something wrong. And there's a lesson for us. I mean, we're living in the, the time of uh, COVID-19. Our government has uh, put upon us responsibilities for how we live our life during the season. Um, and, and we have wanted to comply because God tells us to do that. And uh, they are doing this because they want to preserve and keep people safe. And so it's our responsibility to do this. I heard of a, a pastor in the States that was told, please don't, uh, please don't gather. And he chose to defy them and to gather. And a number of people got sick and even the pastor himself died. So we, uh, we have some lessons for us. Sometimes we fight the government on things that we shouldn't fight the government. Like, like the fire marshal wants us to do something to protect our people, to keep the building safe. You know, we need to be smart in these things. And we need to be driven by what scripture says. And uh, the government is God's doing. Even corrupt governments. And, and, and here... They had, at the time that Peter's writing this, they had a, uh, a wicked ruler. Uh, Nero was the, uh, was the emperor. And uh, you know what? He, he did some terrible things. But in, light of, in spite of this, he still called believers to subject themselves to it. Live as free people, 
but abstain from doing what's wrong. Don't use your freedom just to do your thing. Do God's thing. And he has, a, a, in verse 17, four little summary points of Christian duty. One is, um, in, in verse uh, 17, he says this, uh, show proper respect for everyone. Doesn't matter who you are. You respect every person. We learned a few weeks ago about the dignity of human, humanity. And uh, we are called to um, treat everyone with respect. Slaves, uh, government officials, neighbors, for everyone. And then love the family of believers. That's what Christ preached over and over again. That we would uh, live a life of love. That people would look at us in our context here and see us with each other. And they would see the love of Christ for one another. And then fear God. Respect and honor God in all you do. And then the last one was honor the emperor. And what I'm saying is this is incredible that Peter is writing this. Because it's the emperor Nero, we believe, that was the one who put Peter to death uh, by crucifixion, and Peter asked to be crucified upside down. He didn't, he didn't want to be um, crucified as Jesus was. He didn't feel worthy about that. And when there was a fire in Rome, uh, uh, Nero blamed the Christians and it brought persecution on them. And even in this, the, the, the apostle Peter is saying, honor the emperor. Boy, those are tough words for us. Well, secondly, we have not only the duty to government, we have the duty of slaves. And that's in verses 18 to 25. It's tough for us to talk about slavery. I mean, it's just a, 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 a nasty thing, something that we, we don't want to even understand. But it was entrenched in society back in Peter's day. It, it was, um, there was about 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire, and about approximately one half of the total population were slaves. Um, it's interesting because masters are not dealt with here, and sometimes masters are dealt with. Here's how you treat your servants, and uh, but that isn't the case here. And I, it's probably we can assume rightly that there weren't a lot of masters uh, that were in the church. Um, that's a, a beautiful thing about the church is you can be disadvantaged in your place in society, but not in the church. In, in the church, everyone is one in Christ. There's no one better than another. And, and so with God, they're equal partners in the church. Uh, James and, and Paul both allude to discrimination that can be in the church, and that shouldn't be uh, any part of it. But Peter instructs them with respect to their duty as Christian slaves. They're really, the word for that is house servants. And they would take on various tasks in, in, a, in a home. And uh, some of them were very well treated and well cared for. Um, and there were other ones that were not at all. But they were a whole class of people. And uh, the command is this to this group of people. It was... The command is to submit to your masters, uh, to place yourself under the rule of them, under their authority, to obey them. Uh, and and I, I know that uh, some of those people would have fought tooth and nail against it. And, and the, it's interesting the extent to which they were to submit. They were sub to submit, um, look at this, not only to those who are good and considerate, 
but also to those who are harsh. So if you had a great uh, slave uh, master and he cared for you well and paid you well and, and gave you all kinds of liberty and freedom, and you'd say, yeah, I, I, I can hang in there with that. But if you had someone who was, who was just uh, harsh and mean and, and uh, not a, a, a good person in any way, he still says you're to submit yourself to them, even if they're miserable and hard. No, it's, uh, it's, it can be very difficult, but he says you need to stay with this. You're doing it for the Lord, he says. You're not doing it for yourself. Um, in, in many other places, we see, for instance, in Colossians 3 and 22, it says this, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do not uh, do it only when their eyes are on you to curry favor, but with sincerity of heart, with, in reverence for the Lord. It has apologetic value. It, it, it's, it's letting the beauty of the lifestyle of a Christian penetrate the hearts of others who are around. And so you want to you take a placard and you say this is unjust, and it is, but in that, uh, in that uh, society, you would be, uh, you, you would, it was such a part of the economy of that society, you couldn't get there. And so what he calls us to do, calls those slaves to do, is to live in submission and, and to aspire to be like Jesus, who is the model of submission, who was unfairly treated. And uh, the, that pattern uh, is... Jesus' pattern is that he had to endure suffering and then there would be glory. Now, we wear crosses and that's a, a wonderful thing. And, and uh, I don't think we really sometimes understand what we're doing when we wear this piece of jewelry or give credence to it. When we wear the cross, we're saying with Jesus, we're reminding that he called us to take up our cross. Uh, he, he called us uh, to leave our self-will, and, and give ourselves to him and be willing to sacrifice everything for him. And he becomes the model for that. And, and, and in these verses, I want you to listen and, and hear uh, what Jesus says about this. Uh, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow his steps. Jesus is our model. We're to follow him. We're to do what he calls us to do. We're to live the life that he lived. And so he goes on to say this, uh, Jesus committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sin in his body on the cross so that we may die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. There's a picture of Jesus in living, and, and he was abused, he was maligned, he was misunderstood, he, he was tortured, he was put to death. And in all of that, he wasn't fighting back. He fought with love, and he would change the world another way. And uh, we are to be reminded that all of us are servants. Jesus himself in Mark chapter 10 uh, spoke and, and he, he said, uh, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and give my life a ransom for many. 
And, and that's what we're called to. We're called to serve him as well. And in that, we find that there is a future glory that is uh, laid up for us. And, and so Peter could speak with authority when it came to suffering. Uh, he, he, uh, he, was, uh, he had nothing to brag about in himself. He just wanted to live like Jesus did and called his followers to do the same. Um, but he denied uh, knowing Christ. Remember that? You remember when he said, if everybody else leaves you, I'm with you, Lord. I'll stick to you. You can count on me. He blew it. Uh, he was fearful. He, he denied Jesus. And uh, he was given the opportunity to be forgiven by Jesus and reinstated. And he would discover that uh, when he was walking in Jesus' footsteps, that there would be suffering for him. And in Acts 5 and verse 41, uh, the apostles having just been beaten and, and uh, brought before the Sanhedrin, the high court, um, they, after, after having been beaten, they left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they were counted worthy of uh, suffering disgrace for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. The lifestyle of a style evangelism that Peter is talking about is living faithfully and working hard and, and not complaining, but showing what Jesus is like. And the testimony of faithful Christians uh, in the, under persecution can be a powerful influence. And I, I can think only of uh, before the Apostle Paul was the Apostle Paul. He was Saul of Tarsus. And here he was. And calling uh, and supporting the first martyr in the church, Stephen. He stood there and watched a man die by stoning he saw how he looked up to heaven. There was something absolutely different about that. And I wondered whether that had haunted him. And you see, when we're living that kind of life, even when persecuted, uh, we can, uh, it can be a powerful statement to who Jesus is as he lives his life through us. Well, um, there's also the duty of wives. And um, in chapter 3 and verse 1 to 6, uh, we find that Paul has... Uh, something uh, to instruct uh, women, particularly these are women whose husbands weren't believers. Well, how do, you, how do you live with a man like that? Well, culturally, women were not highly respected, nor were, uh, of course, slaves. Uh, and husbands had a kind of legal authority over them that, uh, that he can do what he wanted. And his life, her life revolved around his life. That is, she wouldn't have friends outside of the friends that her husband would have. And they were concerned to have a well-ordered society. And that began with the home. And uh, so if a wife became a Christian, that would be a big threat to that home. You know that uh, we've already talked about they weren't particularly uh, happy about Christians. They, they, they uh, uh, really persecuted them, stayed away from them. And so if your wife had become a Christian, somehow connected with this, uh, this would break a, a lot of conventions that uh, they would uh, see as rebellious and, uh, and would be criticized in the community. And uh, the, these were two fairly powerless groups, slaves and women, 
They couldn't do just what they wanted. And Peter speaks into this situation. And uh, these women who were becoming believers uh, were going to have a rough road themselves, but also it would, it would uh, extend to the whole family. So here's what Peter says. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Uh, do you notice that in every case it's talking about submission? And I know that's a dirty word for us today, but God called for submission to various authorities uh, in society and uh, in life. And uh, here we are, these wives were called to submit themselves to their own husbands. Listen, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence in their lives. Peter's saying, if you are a, a, a Christian woman and you have a husband who is not a believer, uh, he can be down on you and, and you need to be very careful in how you live your life. Uh, so that for those who don't believe, they may be one without a word. Now, we just said that you can't become a Christian without the content of the gospel. But, but this credence that is given to the gospel as it's the opportunity that it provides to transform a person is something uh, that would be very helpful to them. And when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives, your beauty should not, and, and uh, he says, this is, what they, this is what they need to see in you, that you submit to your husband, that you love your husband, that you care for him, that you live this life of, of purity and reverence. And, uh, and then he says, here's what you don't do. We don't want you focusing on external things. Now, it's interesting that we see so often um, people who really put a priority on things that are not of significance and importance. And here is talking about the beauty of a person. And he says the beauty should not come from outward adornment and then looks at three different elements of what they do to be beautiful on the outside without caring about what's on the inside. Uh, it, there are three things. One was elaborate hairstyles and they had some beauties with, with uh, uh, golden uh, ribbon uh, through the hair and all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, they, went to the, they went to the salon, let's put it that way. Um, they wore gold jewelry and they had fine clothes and they put an, emphas an emphasis on that, how they looked on the outside. And, and, and uh, Peter is saying, no, don't do that. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, of unfading beauty, of a gentle and quiet spirit. It's interesting as we age, and, and uh, sometimes you'll see on the internet, uh, here are these people who were young and uh, celebrities and beautiful, and how do they look now? And you see that there is a fading beauty to us as we age. And, and he says here, this, this inner self, um, th there's an unfading beauty that you can become more and more beautiful on the inside as Christ is in you. Uh, that it, with a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For that's the way holy women in the past put their hope in God. And they would adorn themselves through their lifestyle, not the externals. They submitted themselves to their own husbands. And like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord, 
Uh, you may not want to try that, guys. Uh, that, that may not go over really well right now. Uh, but you are her daughters if you do what's right and do not give way to fear. So live that beautiful life. Uh, don't, don't put stock in things that are secondary and not as important. And, and, then, and then show your husband that kind of love and care. Well, um, we... we uh, need to have something said about the man as well, don't we here? And so in verse 7, we find out that the duty of the husbands, and, and here is the husband in the same way, because he may have a wife that is not yet a believer as well. Regardless of that, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as a weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. What does he say here? He's saying this, uh, when you think about uh, husbands and how they should treat their wives, they had an upper hand in society. Uh, they, could, they could treat their, their wives terribly, and some of them did. But in, but in the same way, uh, God is calling husbands uh, to live in a certain way with their wives. The treatment of their wives was going to be uh, something that would show the beauty of Christ and uh, as, they, as they lived it out. The first thing is be considerate. And this literally says, live with your wives according to knowledge. You know, that is, you should be a lifelong student of your wife. You should know what brings her joy. You should know what, what she's afraid of. You should know what causes her stress. And, um, and what brings enjoyment to her. Um, and live a life that is other-centered, understanding who she is and how you can be a blessing to her. Be considerate. Live with, uh, according to knowledge with her. And then secondly, treat her with respect as the weaker partner. Now, I'm going to tell you right off the bat, I, the weaker partner is, is not a lot of things and uh, about women. It's not being spiritually weaker at all. In fact, sometimes uh, our, our women are more spiritual. It's not to be weaker intellectually. They don't take a back seat to anyone. It's not to be weaker emotionally. Uh, and it's not to be weaker in terms of character either. Well, what, in what way is a woman uh, weaker uh, than her husband? Well, generally, it's this, physical strength. Uh, not always, but mostly, men are, are physically stronger. And when God cursed humankind uh, for their, uh, for their uh, disobedience, he said that there was going to be problems in the home, and some of those problems are going to be a clash between a husband and wife, and, and a, a jockeying for power and privilege. And women have often been abused because of the strength of men could force them in ways that were inappropriate. And, and so he says, look it, treat them with absolute respect. Treat them as something that is so precious to you that you wouldn't hurt, that you wouldn't, um, wouldn't destroy in any way. And then he has a third thing. Uh, you are co-heirs of the gracious gift of life. 
Walk together with your wife. You are joint heirs. It's not like one is better than the other. You are joint heirs. And uh, you are, are co-heirs of the grace of God in life. You share that and can be united in faith. That's how re the relationship was supposed to work. And, and he said this um, also. Do these things that I'm saying so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Guys, do you know that if you are not respectful and loving and caring of your wife, God will not hear your prayers. And you, you put yourself in a very vulnerable and difficult place. But when you do this, God is pleased with you and, and will bless you and will answer your prayers. Hey, that's a huge, uh, a huge uh, issue. Uh, so, so here we have these four different areas of responsibility and and we have this incredible and wonderful freedom as christians and we're to take that freedom at times and set it aside that we may live the kind of life that that would enhance the message of the gospel when people see christ in us uh, it would cause them uh, to want what we have an opportunity to live selflessly, to allow the beauty of Christ to be seen through me and through you. That's what we have. And, and, and I, I'm just, just thinking of, of, of a person who so lived Christ that people were attracted to this guy and, and his wife. And, and they impacted tons and tons of people by the way that they lived their life so beautifully. Hey, listen, we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We're presenting his good news. And what God wants is for us not only to present the good news, but to live the good news and give strength and, uh, and uh, encouragement through how we live our life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this. And we know that some of these things that uh, in your word are not easy to do. But Lord, we know that your word is truth and that if we would live by that, we would see your, your blessing upon all we do. So I pray, Father, that you'd help us to live those kind of lives that help put the gospel of Jesus Christ in a central place and give credence to the reality of what Christ can do in a life when they see us. Father, help us in that, we pray. As difficult as it can be, we can do that through the strength that you provide us in the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would be working in us now. In Christ's name, amen.